Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Ryan, and uh, I have a whiteboard, and it is back. And so I'm excited about that. If we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you. What we're doing today is we're wrapping up a series we've been in for the last handful of months now uh, that's all about struggling with God. And what we've said is that as human beings, we are limited. Uh, We're limited in perspective, in knowledge, in scope, in wisdom, right? We only get to live 100 years kind of at max, and to interact with a perfect and infinite God that knows everything and that has a master plan, there's always going to be a struggle as I try to interact with God. Uh, That struggle is normal, we've been saying. And the struggle is not really the problem. It's when that struggle leads me to doubt God instead of to have faith in Him, that's when that struggle becomes a problem. And what we've been doing, we've said that we have to really concede and recognize that we're never going to really get our minds around all of who God is. Uh, There's no way that we could ever fully see his vantage point. The best that we can do is kind of lean into him and lean into our relationship with him and trust that he has our best interests in mind. We looked at a verse like this in Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, where God talking about himself would say this. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we have to just kind of recognize that that is real. That's always going to be the case. And what we've done is we said there's going to be some stress points that come up as I try to interact with God. And so we've looked at all kinds of subjects over the last few months. We looked at the Bible, and we said that the Bible has to be a key piece as I struggle with God. It really has to be my my starting point for my relationship with God. We looked at things like evil. How can there be evil in the world? How how does a loving God send people to hell? Um, We looked at the exclusive claims that Jesus makes when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We've looked at things like hypocrisy in the church, and we've kind of hit all of these major stress points. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take another step forward into a conversation about the supernatural. As before we do that, I just want to encourage you, um, even walking away today, if you've missed any of these conversations, or maybe if this is your first time here, I would highly encourage you to get caught up online. This has been an important series. I think it's where we all live, right? We have these questions and stress points and you can catch up on, online at our website, graceohio.org. Hit the media tab, and you can watch or listen anytime you want online. Let's look at this next step. As we start to talk about the supernatural, what we're actually going to do is I want to go back into a piece of one of the messages that Pastor Jeff opened up for us a handful of weeks ago. One of the things that he said in a message called Loving God, Evil World is he said that we are in the midst of a war. He said that we're in the midst of a spiritual war. And he talked to us a little bit about uh, angels and Satan and demons. And he said that uh, Satan, one of the created angels, rebelled against God, drew a third of the angels with him, and waged war against God. Pastor Jeff, in that conversation, was helping us to understand that that war zone is the context for why pain and suffering exist. What I want to do today is I want to revisit that conversation and see it in light of the entirety of our struggle with God. So we're going to talk about that war a little bit more today. 
And I just want to encourage you, if uh, you really struggle maybe to accept the reality of the spiritual world, um, if if talking about things like demons and angels and Satan feels far-fetched for you, it feels weird, I know it's a subject that we don't hit very often, I would just ask you to put, would you put your reservations about that subject, would you place them kind of aside just for the sake of this conversation? And would you entertain it? Uh, Because this conversation is important. And what we're going to see is that our struggle with God is actually a little bit more complicated than we thought it was. Uh, It's not just us and God interacting. There's, in in fact, an entire kind of war zone playing out. And we're going to look at that. And it's a pretty sobering conversation. So I just want you to have a heads up. We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. And some of it's pretty sobering stuff. So stick with me, and I think you're going to find that it's a pretty important conversation to have. The passage that Pastor Jeff started us with was Ephesians chapter 6. We looked at verse 10. Go ahead and turn there if you have Bibles with you. If you don't, you can grab one from underneath your chairs there. In fact, if you don't have a Bible or newer translation, feel free to take one of those with you. Uh, you can actually have that if you'd like to. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter, 10, or chapter 6, verse 10. The Apostle Paul is closing up this letter to the church in Ephesus. And here's what he says in verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the spiritual, uh, the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that we, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. So the Apostle Paul is operating on a set of assumptions here, and I want us to unpack this a little bit and see how this works. What he knows and what he understands is that there is kind of a realm of power and a realm of existence here that we kind of live in. It's this, kind of this human realm. And what we tend to do is we're going to operate off of our senses, what we see, touch, smell, hear, taste, and that kind of defines reality for us. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is he's saying that our struggle is not really in this realm, this realm of humanity. In fact, there are other realms that we don't actually see. They're unseen realms. And He's going to recognize that while there's this level of interaction and kind of uh, power and knowledge info that we have as human beings that's very limited, there's also the kind of this realm of being where God lives. God is perfect and complete in his power, his understanding, and his knowledge. Uh, no one has that kind of power. No one has that kind of information. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they interact in perfect harmony. And they are all powerful. Now, there's another layer of interaction, another layer kind of in the spiritual realm that the Apostle Paul is talking about. When he says this, he says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, verse 12, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I want to dig into that a little bit. What the Apostle Paul knows and recognizes is that there are other beings other than humans, 
There are other beings other than God. There are angels, and angels are God's servants. Uh, if we were to look and kind of scan through some of the passages about angels, what we would find out is that angels are spirits. Um, when they show up and kind of throughout Scripture and they show up in front of human beings, they're usually not showing up and looking like babies. They usually don't have cute little uh, auras to them and halos. These are uh, usually figures or beings that look like warriors. Uh, they look more like a kind of a soldier than they do a baby or, or someone who's kind of soft. And these spirit beings represent God. What they do is they represent the will and the voice of God in our lives. Right? They, they kind of help us to embrace faith, we could say. If we were to look at some passages, those passages would say things like this. Uh, Hebrews 1.14 says this, Are not all angels ministering spirits that are sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? They are servants of God that are actually serving us, protecting us, helping us, encouraging us to love and to know God. The Apostle Paul knows and recognizes that. He also recognizes that there's another set of beings and Satan would be one of those, and then kind of the spirits that work for him, demons, they represent another portion of beings that exist. And what their job, demons specifically, their job to do is to represent the will and the voice of Satan. And Satan, who waged war on God and the demons that went with him, their goal is to draw people away from God. They're basically, their entire mission is to detract and distract people from following God. So what we're describing here, and I realize this is kind of a lot to cover. It's kind of intense to think about. What we're saying is that if we could make an incision in reality as we know it, and if we could peel it back and look into the supernatural, spiritual realm, what we would see is that there is a battle that's taking place. And that battle is over the real estate of our hearts and minds. There's a war, and that war is playing out for our allegiance, in our love, in our faith. It's kind of mind-blowing to think about, isn't it? I know that whenever we start talking about angels and demons, uh, we start to get sensational pictures in our minds. When we think of Hollywood, we think of the exorcist, we think of demons throwing people against a wall and crazy stuff, and we start to think of the people that blame everything on a demon. Right? My lawnmower won't start, there's a demon in it. Right? I lost my remote control, a demon stole it. It's probably an angel, let's be honest. Right? I was uh, telling you guys a few weeks ago, I think maybe even a month ago now, that my family, we went up to, to Headlands and Mentor for the day for the beach and kind of just said, we wanted to go have a blast. Told you guys a little story about that. Well, last week, we went up again. And uh, we went up and enjoyed another great day. We left the baby at home. Uh, we left her with mom and dad and said, let's just enjoy some time with the older kids and really relax and have some fun. So we did that. Loved playing in the water, playing in the sand. 
got really hungry. You know how it is when you're at the beach and you always get super hungry. I don't even know why that happens, but we did. We got lunchtime, unpacked the snacks. We start eating. Chips are falling all over the place. You know how kids are, right? They're going to drop kind of little driblets everywhere of food. And I'm like, oh, great. Now the seagulls are going to come. And I was so surprised because there was only this one little seagull that showed up. I was like, oh, look, there's one seagull. My, my little three-year-old girl, who's extremely aggressive, she looks at me like, daddy, can I kill the seagull? You know, I'm like, <laughs> go, honey, go get it. And so she chases the seagull away. I don't think anything else of it. We keep playing. So I start digging in the sand. I'm digging this huge hole right by the water, right? And all these kids are starting to clump up on me because I'm like the dad that's digging in the sand with my kids. And, and so we start to do that. Lori sits down for the first time, right? Mom of uh, four young kids. So she never sits down. She's just relaxing for the first time, puts her sunglasses back, soaking up the sun. I'm digging the hole. She's relaxing. Everything is good. All of a sudden, I hear Lori say, Ow! I look over at her, and she's got her eye clamped shut, and there's like brown ooze all over her. And she, yeah, I like that laugh. It was good. I laughed too. And she says, and I quote, I think somebody pooped in my eye. That was phenomenal. So I'm standing there watching. We clean the poop out of her eye, and we conclude that that seagull that my daughter chased away that pooped in my wife's eye was demon-possessed. Right? <laughs> Is that spiritual warfare? Right? Is that how it works, that there's a, a demon everywhere, and, and that's what they're focused on? What we would see is that the nature of this war, it's not about silly stuff. It always is going to center and zero in on our faith. That's the focal point of this war. It's how it plays out. The Apostle Paul continues to talk about this. This is a subject that's going to show up all the time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, he's going to talk more about this. He says this, verse 3, he says, For though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. Because the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. What Paul is saying here is though he says that though we live here, we do not wage war spiritually the way that human beings do. When we're talking about this spiritual war, we're not talking about guns and uniforms and assembling kind of an army to go fight. He says, remember, flesh and blood isn't the problem. We're not fighting each other. That's not how it works. He says, no, on the contrary, look in the middle of verse 4. On the contrary, the weapons that we have, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Verse 5, we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What Paul would say here is he would say the weapons that we use to interact in this battle, they have not just human power, but divine power. He's going to say when we pray, what we're doing is we are opposing what's happening here. When we read our Bibles and believe the truth that's in the Bible, we're 
opposing the arguments and the strongholds that are developed here. We're going to unpack what those are in a moment. What Paul's saying is, he's saying when we fight, we are using, interacting with God's power and God is fighting on our behalf. And what he's going to talk about is the nature of this war has to do with influence. He recognizes that, like we saw in the passage earlier, that Satan and the demons have schemes that they're playing out. Those schemes show up in forms of arguments and philosophies and strategies. Let's talk about that for a minute. This is dangerous, but let's just pretend for a minute that I'm Satan and my job is to lead you away from God. How might I do that? One of the most effective things that I could do if we were at war with one another is to get you to believe that I don't exist. you imagine if I'm a, a military commander waging war against you and I actually get you to believe that I don't exist? We wrestle with this, guys, as a culture. We don't even believe that Satan's real, surveys tell us. Let's pretend that, that, that I'm Satan. I get you to, to believe that I don't exist, and then I get you to believe that we're not even at war. So there is no war, and I, I convince you that, that really you can just live life and live peacefully, and it's no big deal. And in the meantime, I am aggressively waging war against you. What kind of ways might I wage war against you if I were him? Well, I would start with some very subtle ways. I, I would work against the philosophies that lead people to God. I, I would want to begin to plant deception in your hearts and minds and get you distracted any way that I could. One of the things that's mind-blowing to me is that these massive business conglomerates own multiple businesses that actually compete against each other. That blew my mind when I first learned that, right? That sometimes these food chains that offer the same thing, they're owned by the same person. And here's why. At the end of the day, the goal for this group of people that own these companies are trying to get this money from people, and it doesn't matter what avenue they take to get that. That's the same thing that's true in this conversation. Satan is trying to get people away from God, and he'll do that through all kinds of different strategies. So those strategies might show up as distraction. Um, it's, it's great if I could just get you to not pay attention to God or not get very serious about him. If I could get you focused in believing that politics is the answer. I might attack the young, your children. I might go after them and get them to believe that pursuing money will bring them life. I might pursue and fight against your marriage and get you to believe that you married the wrong person and get you to believe that if they would just change, you would be happy or that your life would be better if you left. Your kids would be okay. I might get you to try to believe that, that you are unlovable unless you perform. I might try to get you to believe anything that gets you away from God. And so even competing philosophies can source back to here. As long as they lead me from away from God, it doesn't matter. Right? So the occult and fortune-telling and other religions and greed 
and you name it. Whatever leads me away from God is a victory for this force in this war. It's kind of disturbing when we think about it. The Apostle Paul says that we are to take captive every thought. He says when when Satan and the demons are influencing massive world systems and and influencing beliefs on an individual level, what we are to do is we are to recognize that this is happening. We're to recognize that these philosophies exist and we are to capture these thoughts and take them captive and make them obedient to Jesus. We're going to talk about how to do that in a second. But what Paul is saying here is he's he's saying this war should influence the way that I live. It should influence the way that I see a commercial. It should influence the way that I watch television. It should influence the way that I see others. Here's how it might play out. Let me use a statement that we're all used to knowing and hearing. How about this one? I'm a good fill in the blank person. I'm a good person. I don't know who invented this statement. I have no idea who the author is. But I know that this statement has, has gotten incredible traction. Right? It's so prevalent that it's, it's almost normal for us to say this and believe this and hear this and accept it. No big deal. I want us to see how this works. When I believe this statement, what happens is this. I am blocked. I am blocked from believing what God would have me know. And what God would have me know is that I am extremely sinful, yet extremely loved. I'm extremely sinful, yet extremely loved. Watch how this plays out. If I believe I'm a good person, I can't at the same time believe that I'm a sinful person. Right? I'm a good person. How could I be sinful? And if I am blocked from believing this, then I'm blocked from what the Bible calls the gospel, which is the reality that that I'm so sinful that I needed a Savior to come and die for me. I'm so loved that a God would send His own Son to go pay that price and come and die for me, that I might have forgiveness of my sins, that I might have heaven. I'm blocked from my access is blocked from believing that if I actually embrace that statement. Now watch, this is where it gets dangerous. Where does this statement lead me? If I believe I'm a good person, I only have a handful of conclusions. One of them would be this, that I don't actually need God. Why? Why would I need God? I'm a good person. I'm set. Let's say I actually believe in God, though. I might land here. If I believe in God and I believe that there's a heaven and hell, I might believe this, that I deserve heaven. So rather than embracing the gospel that's laid out in the Bible, that brings me freedom and and sets me free, the Bible says that I will know the truth and the truth will set me free. Rather than that, what happens is I land here and I say, I deserve heaven. Why? Because I'm a good person. If I ever looked at God and he asked me, why should I let you into heaven? I would say, I did a bunch of good stuff. I'm a good person, God. And what the problem is with that is both of these statements, kind of this train that we're on, is both of these lead us away from God. And if I persist in these beliefs, 
Guys, this is a pathway to eternal separation from God. The Apostle Apostle Paul is looking and saying, I have to take my thoughts captive and I make them obedient to Jesus. I look at the lies, I recognize them, I, I take that thought and I say, this is a lie and I believe this truth. Guys, this thing is so powerful. This is how this works. If I don't know there's a war playing out, if I don't know that I'm in the midst of a war, and if I don't know that I have an enemy, then I'm never going to recognize the attack. And if I don't recognize the attack, and I don't recognize the lie, then I can't claim the truth. And if I can't claim the truth, then I can't be free. This statement, aside from this context, seems pretty benign. Seems pretty, eh, no big deal. Doesn't seem harmful. But if there's an author to this statement, if this actually did come from somewhere, if there actually is a voice that originated this lie, this is not a benign statement. This is an intentional strategy that beams are trying to drive me away from God with. This stuff matters. We could spend the rest of the weekend taking thoughts captive and looking at the impact of one belief and looking at the impact of believing and embracing the philosophies that are thrown at us. Here's the thing about this, guys. As we struggle with God, we have to see our struggle in light of this war. We have to. Because when we start to ask, why is it so hard to believe? You ever wonder? You ever wonder when when you're trying to read your Bible and it's so hard sometimes? Why is it so hard to pray? Why is it... Why does it make so much sense when I'm there on the weekend and hearing the Bible taught? And then when I leave and I'm living life, it all feels kind of cloudy and it feels hard to embrace. And the voices are so loud drawing me away from God. Why does it seem that there are so many oppositional voices to what God would say in the Bible says? Why is all that? Because if I don't have the context that I'm in a war? Uh, That's a pretty disturbing equation. It it starts to feel like maybe God is just marginal and the majority is right. But if I'm in a war and I know that these strategies are being invented and that I have an enemy that's attacking me, I can awaken to that reality. One of the things that the Bible says is that I can actually be... um, asleep, that I can be spiritually asleep. Men especially, you have to hear this. We cannot be asleep to this reality. We can't be distracted and chasing things all over the place while our families and our children and the people that we love 
This whole generation is swept away in deception. That cannot happen. What the Bible would have us to do is to wake up to the reality, to allow it to sober us and awaken us. Some of that's painful. But gentlemen, what God has called us to is to lead our families into freedom and into truth. What the Bible is asking is that men and women would wage war on these lies. That, that they, we wouldn't just allow them to come into our homes and into our hearts and into our children and into our marriages unchallenged. Because nothing makes me more angry than when someone consistently and persistently lies to me and lies to my children and pursues them to hurt them. And that's what's happening. That is the supernatural war that we're in. We have an enemy. And that enemy's agenda is to kill, steal, and destroy, Scripture says. The expectations for life completely change when I recognize this. I don't embrace life with a peacetime mentality. I I can't just be flippant and just relax and enjoy life and, and, and think it's no big deal. Why? Well, because I'm in the midst of a war. I have to be watchful and alert and awake. This context changes everything for us. And guys, wherever you are, whether you're hearing this statement in particular, maybe you're looking at that one and you're saying, Ryan, yeah, that lie that's on the board, I walked in this morning and I believe that. That's okay. The question is, as we begin to wrap this up, is will you take this thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus? Will you recognize that this is a lie, that there's an author, that it's false, that this is true, that there's an author to this statement? Guys, would you recognize that we are extremely sinful yet extremely loved? Here's the thing. Before Jesus came, we were all bound in this deception. We were locked up in it. There was really not a lot of chance for freedom. What Jesus would do is leave this place of ultimate power and authority. He would become a human being. He would invade enemy territory, we could say. And he would blow up the bondage that we were trapped in. He came down and he would die and allow himself to be murdered by people that had rejected him in order to save us. As I have one son, he's six and a half, 
And as I look into the eyes of that one son, I try to imagine the amount of passion that God must have for us. As I look into his eyes and imagine how much would I have to love somebody to take his life and give it for my enemy, somebody that rejected me. Guys, God loves us so much. And he wants freedom for us so much. And if you're here and you're looking at even this statement, and and you've never really seen how this process plays out, and you're learning that, that you have a Savior that needed to come and die for your sin because he loved you so much, Guys, the first step of waging war is embracing that. Jesus came and lived perfect, an absolutely perfect life. As a human, he offered his life on the cross to pay for our sins, all because of love, all motivated and driven by love. And he would say, just accept that and you can have freedom you can be saved. Because if you've never done that before, I would encourage you to accept that truth. Say yes to Jesus and his sacrifice. Say, I want to be free. I want to choose faith. Because I'm going to have the band come out. For the rest of us, this is critical. This reality changes the way that we see life. And what I would ask, what I think God would ask of us, is I think he would ask of us to go to war. And to go to war on the lies that live in our hearts. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I know what it looks like for me. I I know the the challenges and the insecurities and the false beliefs and the the things that I have to fight. I don't know if that shows up in your beliefs about yourself. Do you believe that you're unlovable? Do you believe that you're unforgivable? Do you believe that, that if people really knew you, if God really knew you, that he wouldn't accept you? As maybe those lies are about your marriage, the basic building block of society. Maybe you believe you married the wrong person, or you believe that if they change, that would solve all your problems. I don't know. It's maybe it has to do with God. Maybe you believe that God is cruel or that he doesn't know you or see you or love you. Maybe you believe he's unfair or unjust. Wherever these lies live, would you wage war on them today? Would you go after them? Friends, because listen, you have an enemy that's waging war on you. 
would you allow yourself to be awakened to this reality? That when I'm struggling with God, it's not just going to church and, and wrestling with some stuff. It's about choosing who to be loyal to and who to betray. It's about choosing who I'm going to love and who I'm going to hate. When I say yes to God, I'm choosing to give my allegiance to him. Guys, that's faith. When I choose doubt, I'm choosing the other team. I'm choosing to be in opposition to God. I'm choosing to be deceived. We have to begin to uncover these lies and see life different. This struggle with God is it goes deep. Would you make a commitment and ask God to help you to see the lies you've embraced? Would you wage war? Would you go after those? Would you struggle with God? Lean into faith today. Jesus, we need your help in this. We need you to help, help us see the deception that we've embraced. Or we confess that um, if we've believed any lies, that's 100% our responsibility. No demon can make me do anything. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see where we've embraced deception, where lies have crept in, and Lord, forgive us for falling asleep. Help us to be alert and awakened to this war that we're in. Lord, help us to be people of truth, people of freedom. Lord, I pray that you would protect Grace Church from evil, from deception. Give us the courage to face down these lies. Lord, help us to wage war in the way that you would have us do to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to you, Jesus. Help us in that endeavor, Lord. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.